0: The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hey guys, it's the Vegas Truth. I'm R.J. Bell, and we are excited to have Derek Stevens, casino owner, Las Vegas joining us here at the pregame.com offices. It's a great time to have Derek because one, he's just off of an amazing run betting his Michigan and as an Ohio state grad, I'm not going to judge, not going to judge betting his Michigan team almost one game away. And we're certainly going to get into that, but so, so much more this guy. I think the word visionary is not too much when it comes to downtown Vegas He's gonna act humble, but we'll get through all that. Derek, how are you?
1: Great RJ. Great to be here, man.
0: <laughs> and don't be afraid to get a little closer to the mic. All right. I always like the question, one question to start that I think is most representative of who's sitting down for the interview. And to me, the the Sigma Derby machine tells so much. And I know you've talked about this a good bit. One, why don't you share with those that don't know, you know, what makes this machine different? and what it means to you
1: well you know first off let me let me let me tell you why why it means a lot to me Uh, my very first time in las vegas um i'll date myself i was staying at the dunes i got a good rate and uh that was the very first slot machine i ever played in las vegas and uh we spent a few hours uh few hours on the horses over there at the dunes and uh, we had a hell of a lot of fun we um we, we won enough that we were able to actually spend a second night in Vegas. So I thought that was pretty cool. Okay,
0: so in the Sigma machine, which you bet a few quarters, right? Like the typical bet on that is how much? I'm uh, usually about a quarter, between one credit to four credits, anywhere from a quarter to a buck. And somehow you won enough to extend an extra night. The
1: room rates were a little different then. <laughs> I came out in like in like July, I think it was uh, in the mid-80s or something like that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I was able to extend. I think the room rate was less than uh, 15 bucks at the Dunes, and, uh, and we were able to spend an extra night,
0: so we had a lot of fun. Now, were you a gambler? before that trip like local casinos poker nights with the boys anything like that no you know this
1: was uh this was before there were local casinos i mean vegas was the place
0: that everybody wanted
1: to go and uh you know it was on my list you know and, and i i always wanted to get here and it probably goes back to way back when i was i was always enamored watching nfl today and uh and uh you know Irv Cross, Phyllis George, Brent Musburger, and this guy, Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> Jimmy the Greek would put the check marks up on this show, and I, I kind of got intrigued by uh, listening to him. I was always a big football fan, and
0: I wanted to get out to Las Vegas. Yeah, you know, I grew up 20 minutes south of Steubenville, Ohio, so Jimmy the Greek's hometown. So I guess it's in the blood, but no doubt people think back, and they say, oh, you know, Jimmy the Greek was on TV. That's cool, but you know, so was so and so, so and so. I mean, you tell, uh, you're. You, I mean, I remember a little bit, and you're just slightly older than me. But he was what one of the five or six most famous sports media guys in the world at that time? Was that fair to say? I, I would guess so. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, I was limited
1: to a half hour of television a day. So you you chose specifically to and, watch the pregame show. Yeah, and I worked out the deal with my parents if I could get if I could take all seven half hour slots and put them on a Sunday. I could kick <laughs> off NFL today at twelve thirty, and I would get three hours of a Lions game right after. And, and no TV the rest of the
0: week. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I could have dealt with that one. So this machine, though, is old school, and it takes up a lot of space, right? And really, there's just a simple economics to owning a casino, right? That space is super expensive. How much money are you going to make per square foot? What's the theoretical, right? And you you said, though, hey, even though the mathematics at least directly off this machine aren't going to be great i think there's a residual effect
1: yeah i mean the one thing i always loved about sigma derby and i love it more now is the fact that it's a it's a slot machine but it has camaraderie like a hot dice table people are around people around this sigma derby and they're hooting and hollering they're ordering drinks and uh you know it's a lot of fun you only have you only have a handful of combinations but uh but everybody has a great time uh yelling and screaming together and and i just thought that it just brings a group of people together a random group of people every day every night and uh and it's just so much fun it kind of it
0: really resonates with what we're trying to do uh at the D Las Vegas so what you like about it is the the social connection right and we hear social and connection or network we're thinking online but this is obviously in person and does it feed into the, you know, the narrative, the ethos, you know, the genuine ethos of wanting to keep a little bit of the, the legacy of the, of the classic Vegas?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, that's one of the things that's uh, always been real important to us. You know, when we bought into our first casino, my brother and I at the golden gate, we wanted to renovate it. We wanted to upgrade it. We wanted to add to it. But um you know we always felt that there was a a strong strong need to make sure that we embraced the history you know and authenticity of Fremont Street I mean that's where all of Vegas started and and I think uh I think you know based upon the number of people coming down everybody kind of wants to see where where Vegas started so I think you know, when you get to Sigma Derby, that kind of matches up as well. I mean, it's a, it's a great historical game, and uh, and I think people come together, and I think it kind of matches up a little bit with what we're
0: trying to do. I agree. I enjoy it myself. And the only other machine, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that's working in the world with the Sigma Derby is at the MGM, right? So you have one, they have one. That's it. I believe that's the case. I believe there's just two, and uh, it's something to see. It really is. Now, I read in the Review Journal that and this was written maybe six months ago so let's be a little bit broad on on the years but it said you had changed 60 percent of the four games in the last at the time year so let's just say in the last short period maybe two years now so what was the so you have owned the d since when Uh, it was a fitzgerald when when was that we uh we purchased FitzGerald's
1: in October of 2011.
0: Okay, so seven, you know, a little less than 7 years in, but recently major changes with the games themselves. So what was the what was the goal, what was the logic of the changes?
1: Well, I mean, I think, I think probably when that was written, um, that, that would have been appropriate. I mean, we've had, we've had periods of time where we've, where we've turned over over half the slot floor in a very short period of time. It, it really has more to do with game themes and, uh, you know, on the way we we kind of think that the uh, trends are going to go. You know, I, I mean, we, we now, might do you, go. Do
0: you, do you try to be ahead of the trends, or do you wait to see the trends in the data?
1: Well, I think you know it's always a negotiation with uh, the with, with the different manufacturers. But but we certainly we certainly try to be ahead, and we try to have a we always really try to have a real current slot floor, and and I think that's a real important thing. I I like when we have customers that come and visit and stay with us. Let's say they come every other month, so six time a year, customers. And, uh, you know, they come up to me over at Long Bar and they say, hey, I love what you added. I love what you added. There's a certain
0: element where we try to keep it pretty fresh. Mm, I uh, like that. So even so let's say there's a machine there and in a given spot. And let's say you believe that the next machine you put in would net make the exact amount of money to the penny. In that case, the tie goes to the change because you would make the same money, but it's going to freshen up the experience.
1: You know, I would say that theory is is uh, is right, but uh, but you don't have that many ties when it comes to slot machines. We, <laughs> you know, when you force rank, you go from one to a thousand. Believe me, there's always there's always a hundred in the in the lowest uh, in the lowest ten percent.
0: Now, do you find that certain machines that are going to perform across the board at a certain level perform better or worse at the D in your properties?
1: Yeah. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think I think. Uh, you know, when when people start talking about slot machines and they say this game is great or this game isn't, some of those are pretty broad broad strokes. Um, I could tell you that it is very very environmentally important, and I could say that just three blocks away at Golden Gate, there's machines that perform better at Golden Gate than they do at the D, and there's the the same. There's other games that perform better at the D than the Golden Gate. Some of it has to do with location. Some of it has to do with the vibe. there's, there's definitely not uh, a a clear cut right answer when it comes to slot machines in every, in every circumstance, we may have a game that doesn't work for us at either of our locations and it's just a home run. It could be a home run at, at Red Rock or stations or an MGM. You know, you, you, it's, it's, it's very different.
0: I know just enough to be wrong (laughs) when it comes to the machines and such, and I'm not a player when it comes to the machines typically though, when I moved here in 98, you know, I was playing a ton of poker, right? Like, you know, uh, this is before the boom. And I was at the, or blo- oh, at the Mirage Bunch, which was the room back then. They had the progressive jackpot, right? My- Megabucks. And someone said, oh, we did the math. When it's over 18 million, it's a positive EV, right? Positive expected value. So I'm like, okay, it's finally my chance to play. And then I'm down like 902 days. I'm like, okay, I don't know when long-term is, but it's too long for me on that one. But all that said, there's different economics where a machine, the cost of having that machine, if it's a, like, you know, the Wheel of Fortune was always one for, and again, maybe that's outdated now, where, hey, a lot of people played it, but it was more expensive to have the machine. So you've got to, correct me if I'm wrong, not only balance how much is it going to generate top line, but also the economics of having that machine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have the wide area progressives like Wheel of Fortune or Mega Bucks or some of the, some of those others, you got to weigh them out versus house machines, and uh, you know it. It really depends upon how how consumers change. You know, and you could take you could take for example a certain machine; that does great on a given weekend, and the next weekend it's a it's 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 on the it's on the other end. It really comes down to what what the consumer that's coming to Vegas and the particular crowd you have what they what they gravitate towards.
0: We're going to talk in just a minute or two about some of the big names of Vegas history that you've mentioned as influences when it comes to your vision. But one of the things, and and Benny Binion will be one of those names. He loved the big bat. There's all the stories about the guys that show up with the suitcase and million dollars, you know, one craps roll. Are you guys at the D and and you're just booking or, or, or gambling philosophy, Derek in general, you like the idea of those big big bets cuz the positive is you've got a positive EV on those right the negative is you're not going to get enough sample size that you can be wrong a couple of times and it can be a big hit to the bottom line how do you balance that
1: well you know i think i think uh you, you explained it you explained it appropriately i mean i i love taking some big bets uh you know, I I also love having uh, ten thousand dollars a spot for blackjack or baccarat, and I love filling tables up that way. That that's some good that's some good stuff. I would say you know w- we're willing to take a bet. I mean, we we did something on a on a show a little while ago called the Buried Life, and and we took a bet where. Where where the four kids uh, four kids wanted to m- win a million dollars, so they wired in one hundred and twenty five thousand and so, so this was a TV show. This was on on on, on a TV show, on, and uh, it's called The Buried Life. And one of the things that they wanted to do, they had this hundred hundred uh, hundred bullet point list of things they wanted to do before they died. And these twenty two year old kids, really nice guys, they wired in one hundred and twenty five thousand bucks, and they uh, they were going to bet black or red. And they had to hit three in a row to win a million. So, so we booked it. I would
0: have, if you needed me to take ten percent of that,
1: I would have. If, you know. Yeah, we booked it, and uh, you know, obviously, a lot of ridiculous uh, video angles and everything else. But it was these were all legit bets, and uh, you know, what what actually worked out. Were, were
0: you there physically? Oh,
1: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. We did this in the Golden. We have a picture on the wall. Right next to the casino cage, right now of of uh, of uh, that whole uh, that whole setup. But the great thing played out was that they uh, they made their first wager and they hit, and then and then it was about a two minute pause and drama and arguing. <laughs> black, red, red, black, and anyway they went from uh, they went from red and they moved their bet to black and it was a $250,000 wager and it and it popped up red so they ended up losing the second bet but what was actually cool we found out was the largest roulette bet in Las Vegas history previously was $244,000 so to my knowledge this is still the largest single roll bet in the history of Las Vegas was 250 um at the at the Golden Gate
0: wow that and how long ago what year was this this
1: was, I'd say, two thousand nine, two thousand ten.
0: So, with the money you won, did you like buy a car and name it after them, or just oh. just just slipped right into the the, the spreadsheet stuff? So.
1: No, no. It just, <laughs> I think we probably uh, upgraded a couple of restrooms, <laughs> and we we reinvested it. That's about it.
0: The if now, so roulette, and again, I'm no table game expert, is a little less than five percent hold. I think on that red or black. If I'm not I'm sure you know to the hundredth, is if they would have wanted to play craps, let's say, right? Or something where it was less than one percent, would you have been up for that? Well, when the deal originally started, it was uh the sponsors were gonna spend were
1: gonna send in five hundred thousand and they wanted one roll, right? Ooh. So uh then then uh sponsors had a little difficulty coming up with the money. So then it was two fifty and they had to bet it twice. When it, when it got down to the last three days, it was down to a hundred and a quarter that they wired in, so every time they peeled it back, I thought, you know we had a little better we're EV. sample size I think, I think all right we're in a little better shape uh, at every one of these negotiations.
0: We're talking with Derek Stevens from the D various other properties and and some impressive, exciting stuff to come. Okay, Old Vegas, probably the name you mentioned the most. In the interviews I've listened to and read, Jay Sarno. Now, when we had Oscar Goodman in for the first Vegas Truth podcast, he literally, and this is a quote, said, a genius, a guy, Sarno, who was before his time and uh, theme-oriented when it comes to casinos, I think is something Sarno gets a lot of credit for, Caesars Palace, and then eventually the Circus Circus. Thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Jay Sarno was, uh, was really something. I mean, you think back in that era, this was in an era when, where there was no capital, there were no banks. I mean, he had to be able to work the financing side out with handshakes, uh, working with the teamsters and, uh, um, getting the financing in place and then, uh, and, and, and build something that's creative in, in the, in the desert. Um, well before, uh, you know, our airport was what it was. And, uh, and, and, and really, really out of the box I, I think I think his creativity today it would actually be a harder sell because there's a lot more a lot more analytics to go into this and and when you think back of a great entrepreneur, a great visionary for him to come up with this really ridiculous concept and then just take it to, to so w- a level. what would be the ridiculous concept that you're speaking of? building the most opulent hotel out in the middle of the desert, you know, in a place that it's not easy to get to or you know, it it you know, just coming up with something that that uh really accentuates uh accentuates what Vegas has become, but but really the the impact that Caesar's had because it was so new and then it and then it became so popular, it really influenced, you know, what we see Las Vegas today.
0: Now, what year was did Caesars open if I'm remembering it was the mid 60s right am I remembering that right
1: uh yes
0: because I... him and Howard Hughes uh, there was some competition at the time right they were trying to each build the biggest casino and just from the books I've read
1: yeah, I mean, I think Sarno had, uh, had some, uh, had some difficulties getting to, getting to Caesar's opening. And I think on opening day, they were still painting the walls a couple hours before <laughs> check-in ended. And, uh, you know, and then, and then had a, had a great run there and it evolved and it changed. And then, uh, and then the development of going from Caesar's palace to making such a radical maneuver and And coming up with the concept of the circus tent and circus circus again, really, really amazing. I mean from uh, from a design perspective, from a uh, a theming perspective. and you you know Sarno spent a lot of time studying architecture and, and and the thought process before before Caesars opened. so i I think the, I think uh, as an individual, clearly one of the most influential influential guys in uh, in Vegas uh, gaming history.
0: Now, when it comes to themes, so generally, if I said a theme is, oh, the Circus Circus is circus theme, right, which is pretty on the nose, is these days, pretty much every casino, either very front and center, right, like the Paris is themed, and then even less so like the Bellagio, you know, people might say it's got an Italian theme and and such, but maybe not as on the nose. What influence do you think that had? In Vegas, uh, like how obviously at a certain point, no one had thought of that. Sarno thought of it. Now, pretty much everyone's doing a variation of it. What's the great insight you think Sarno had?
1: Well, I think I think Vegas um, the the ability to replicate the best elements of a city or uh, an era were pretty unique and it gave people the ability to come out, um, to see things that they would never see. I mean, there's a lot of Americans that'll never get to, never get to France or never going to see the Eiffel tower. There's a, you know, you're never going to get to Venice. You're never going to, you know, you might not have a chance to get to New York actually. So to be able to see all these, all, all this craziness in one city, um, was, was pretty cool and pretty unique. You know, I think the theming element, um, I think, you know, it really, it really accelerated. And I think it's kind of from, from a design perspective, I think it's probably uh tailed off a little bit because there's a lot of risk going with the theme. And and, and that has to because, do. With, because
0: that theme is going to be such a driver, good or bad of the success. If you get that wrong, you're, you're in trouble, right? Yeah, is that I mean, the rationale?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take something that, that, that's not really an issue now, but, but take, uh, take, take Venetian. If, if there was something that happened in Venice and something Ah. happened in Italy, and let's say Venice wasn't quite as cool as what it was when he came up with the idea 30 years later. Well, then you got to rethink, you know, you got to rethink things a little bit. Um, So I think, I think the theming
0: element, um, um, I think it's like an OJ Simpson slot machine. At least you can roll that off the floor. real. (laughs) You'd be able to roll that off the floor (laughs) real quickly. Right on. All right. That makes, I never thought very insightful. and, it's funny because you and again, you can you can defer, but you come off as a jovial guy, and and you know your your uh, presentation is, is fun-loving, and fun's a word you talk about a bunch when it comes to your vision. But if you listen closely, there's a lot of thinking going on. Would you say that most of your insights stem from, you know looking around and seeing the world and think, and seeing it slightly differently? And what percentage would you say came from, you know, academics, where I read this book and it really got me thinking?
1: Uh, you know, I barely got through
0: college. Not much but you came did from go academics. To, you
1: did go to <clears throat> Michigan, correct? I got my undergrad at Michigan, Which yes. is what,
0: a top 30 school in the country.
1: Oh, uh, well, I know it's right, right, just one or two bubble house,
0: <laughs> But, uh... I keep hearing about that. <laughs> uh,
1: no, no, I, I would say, you know, it, it's a combination of... Uh, combination of um i think studying a little a little bit of history i love reading biographies i love reading about uh some of these old leaders um that that have that have gone before us here in las vegas so you learn a lot from history but but i'd also say for me i learn a lot from from people and experiences i've gone through i mean one thing that just resonates like deep deep with inside me is thinking about you know when I was uh when I was in my fraternity in Michigan and I was able to get a ninety nine dollar flight out from Detroit to, Detroit to Las Vegas with a connection at Midway on Midway Airlines and, you know we're all we're all scrapping together our forty bucks and eighty bucks and we're trying to get out here early to make sure that we can bet Greg Maddux on at, at Wrigley Field <laughs> before it goes off at two twenty. We're gonna come charf. out there and we're, we're gonna come out and uh, you know make the play and then uh, you know never got a hotel room you know, the response responsibility was you know you cast the ticket then you fly back home and you know we 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 did that uh we did that many many a time
0: <laughs> and we're gonna get to your love of sports batting in a few minutes so Benny Binion uh just thoughts right we're not looking for his biography from you but rather what about him resonated with you
1: well I mean I think I think the fact that uh that he came out to Las Vegas. He he moved from where he's originally from, uh, and and came out with with uh, with his family, and and really was 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 a guy that that was able to take a, an idea and a concept and really make it into something. When you think about you know w- what the World Series of Poker turned into, and and to think that that idea really was the key purpose why Caesars bought you know, ended up buying Binion's, you know, it, well after well after uh, they were gone. But but to think that that idea ended up being so large and and how it impacted society. I mean, poker's a little different today than it was maybe like 10, 12 years ago and all that, and for a lot of reasons. And, but,
0: and just relatively less popular, but
1: so much more popular than it was, let's say, in 2000. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got those momentous uh, moments, you know, when you have this guy, Chris Moneymaker, wins the – WSOP, that was a big deal. Obviously, when uh, you know all the online poker, you know had had that uh, really really bad day a few of quite a few years back. That changed things. But to think that that concept and and how it impacted Las Vegas and how how many people it drew out to Las Vegas and then how it 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 made gambling in Las Vegas a bit more mainstream. To think that the World Series of Poker would be on ESPN, just amazing stuff.
0: And and to me. I think it's helped lower the taboo of gambling in general and me being a sports betting guy first and then poker and then casino. Let's say those are the big buckets and horse racing, but I think that's a smaller bucket these days is the idea of seeing Phil Ivy betting, you know, a million dollars on high stakes poker, uh, you know, which obviously after the world series and all that, those shows got big. I think, I think the idea of gambling being so taboo Got lower. So I think poker in general has helped all of gambling with the taboo. Oh, I agree. I mean, to,
1: to be able to have a World Series of Poker on ESPN and 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 getting it in everybody's homes, uh, I and I think it was so cool that people were able to see what chip counts were and see these hole cards. It got people excited about it. it got people excited for Las Vegas. So I think I think poker had an impact on Las Vegas that was that far greater than maybe what people uh, uh, talk about.
0: And I don't think people realize is is all, you know, circa 2002 or, or let's say pre Bellagio, the Mirage had a full room and otherwise there wasn't a one room in town that had more than one five stud. I mean, you might've seen some two four limit hold them. So like, obviously it's ebbed back a little bit, but man, the idea where it was to uh in two thousand let's say two thousand to two thousand you know six i mean it wasn't fifty percent more to me it was probably and I don't know about the exact state reported revenue but probably five x or more revenue generated
1: yeah it could yeah it could be could be um again, just the impact has been was was has been really something jackie gone wow jackie gone uh you know i i uh he's an individual I'd never met. Um, I, I eat at El Cortez often. <laughs> I love seeing Mike Dolan and Joe Woody and Kenny Epstein and, uh, and, uh, and the family. Um, but I never had an opportunity to go, uh, go, go to, uh, go to lunch over there. I, and, and, and I, that's something that, uh, you know, I'd say I'd ever regret on. I would, I would
0: have loved to, uh, have gotten to know him. Um, I only know of him through stories. Now you mentioned go to lunch. Now I know with Benny Binion, it was famous. He had a certain table, eating squirrel soup or whatever at his cafe. Did uh Jackie Gone was at the similar was he holding cord at his Oh at, yeah. Oh that's what he did. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely Del Cortez. That 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 happened uh that happened uh all the way up till uh, I think the last year or so for him. But uh you know, I I mean obviously the impact that he had it and, and some of the things that, you know, we see today. I mean, you think the impact he had with with the plaza and impact on Las Vegas Club. I mean, there there's there's an awful lot of things that he was involved with over the years and and now, you know, with uh with Michael, uh, you know, I've gotten to know Michael uh pretty well. So the are,
0: uh owner of the South Point now.
1: Right, right. And uh, you know, Jackie Gunn obviously and another 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 individual that's had uh
0: tremendous impact on, on on the history of Las Vegas. If you had to pick one more, so this would be the last one, one more person from the past. That you thought is noteworthy or impactful, whatever of interest. Who would that be?
1: Oh, I, I don't think I could pick one. I don't think I don't think that would be. You know, I don't know that that'd be appropriate. I mean, I, I would tell you. I mean, I got a I got a long list of, of people that I followed, and you know, from Kirk Kerkorian, both for gambling and for automotive businesses. Uh, you take a look at. Um, you know you, you, you can't you can't not talk about Steve Wynn look at uh, look at look at what, what what's happened with uh, you know some of our US senators the impact on McCarran Airport I mean without McCarran Airport I mean being as great an airport as what it is and being located where it is Vegas wouldn't be the same either I mean the M- M- McCarran and the expansion that they've done over the years has had a big impact on on, on our growth. Um, you know, I'd say, I just say there's just way too many. When, when I look at, look at, look at Bill Boyd, Bill Boyd, I've, you know, I've gotten to know, you know, Sam Boyd, the, the big, another, another uh, very impactful group. And well, there's just too many in Vegas. That That's a great thing about this, this relatively short history of
0: a hundred years. You know, Derek, I think you make a great point is when you think about Vegas, it's the glitz, the glamor, the neon, but the infrastructure, right? If the infrastructure, using the airport as an example, wasn't here difficult to have the growth that the city has had. Right. Sports betting. Yeah. You know, one last question on the old Vegas, you mentioned Sarno and the handshakes and the teamsters. And, you know, if you've seen the movie casino, I think most listeners have, you get a feel for that. Obviously I'm guessing you prefer, you know, everything out in the open, but if you were born 20 years earlier or 30 years earlier, do you think you would have delved in and, and navigated those dangerous waters, or do you think it would have kept you out of the city?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's the great thing about life. You kind of figure things out as it, <laughs> as it moves along. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can think about what what would it be like if you were in the same position 30 years ago. But I like to but, think but about But the big
0: what, difference being that the mob was, you know, obviously not in any given situation we're speaking to, had a big role.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously things were a little bit different then you had to be able to make your way— um, you know, you think back, what, what would it have been like 30 years ago or 35 years ago, think back what, or think forward, what's going to be like 30 years from now. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I like today's environment. I like it a lot. <laughs> I like, I like the uh, I like the regulated market and, um, you know, I like navigating in today's waters sports betting. So you bet pretty much every day. Well, I try to.
0: <laughs> it's like getting a workout in and making sure you get your bets down. Well, make sure you get your bets down. Yeah, I try to. I got I got I got to stay you know, fresh here. So, it's you're betting baseball, you're like the daily sports, the whole thing. You know,
1: it's kind of funny. Um I bet baseball all the time until I bought the Triple A team here in Vegas and And uh, what
0: year was that? Um
1: 2007.
0: That's the 51s. Yeah. And and you and when you bought them, they were a Triple for
1: Dodgers for one year, and then we had four years with the Blue Jays, and sold one that when re uh, reaffiliated with the Mets, and they're still with the Mets right now. And what year did you sell? I had it
0: for uh, about five and a half seasons, and then at that point, you you just didn't want to bet baseball. Just you know, why cause any potential conflict?
1: Yeah, I mean, this was this was you know a year before. I mean, I quit betting baseball, and 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 baseball is my true love. I love
0: baseball as a batter or as a fan both okay both you like um, those dime lines you want to get that extra only yeah. pay half the vague yeah it's a little little different now huh? <clears throat>
1: but but when i was a kid i mean i loved baseball um today to be honest i i don't have enough i don't i don't have as much time as i wish i wish i did so i so i don't i don't bet baseball quite as much as i used to but i used to love betting baseball and and then when i quit betting baseball for five and a half years or well for that five and a half years, but I, I really quit betting baseball for about eight years overall. And the funny thing was is I really didn't miss it. And, and and I was surprised because um I loved the game, but I just I just um I didn't miss betting it. Ironically, that time frame, I uh I was involved in a lot of fantasy fantasy football leagues and and got into fantasy baseball. And I and I uh I was able to keep abreast by uh, by playing fantasy baseball and uh, and I
0: love doing that. And so are you betting baseball? We're taping, uh, 2018. Are you betting baseball regularly now? You know, I, I can't say regularly right now.
1: I mean, I mean, now, you know, between, uh, working during the day and by the time I get back down to Long Bar, I'm lucky, I'm lucky to make, uh, make a, you know, a a wager on a 7 PM Pacific game,
0: but I, but I try to if I, if I have a shot. It's always been my belief that. And I think Charles Barkley, the basketball player and announcer now, media guy, is a good example. If you've got a hundred bucks in your pocket and you bet a dollar, you feel it, right? Now, what does Bill Gates have to bet, or Jeff? We'll get a little more modern. Jeff Bezos. what, What do they have to bet to feel it? How do you? And Oscar Goodman was an example. We talked about this. He bets pretty much every day, right? By his own admission. And I asked him, I go, Are you betting an amount? That if you win, you're really excited. If you lose, you're upset. And he said, "No." So I guess question one to you is: Do you have to bet an amount that you feel it, or is there something else that you like about it?
1: You know, that all changes. Uh, you know, in life, you get a little bit older and things like that. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not betting the uh, the month's rent. I could tell you that.
0: <laughs> but so you like? Is it an intellectual pursuit? Is it the idea of, you know, overcoming the the vague and being able to beat? That with your intellect, or is it you just? It's a little bit of little bit of juice, a little bit of action.
1: Well, it's a little bit of action. I mean, I mean, I mean, whether you whether you have a a buck on it or or a hundred bucks or ten thousand, I mean, you're going to spend a little bit more time watching the game. You know, if you if I put ten bucks down on a game and I see a two two count and the umpire rings a guy (laughs) up, you know, I'm going to get a little bit more upset about it. It's just the
0: way it is. You know, I always wonder. Do you ever? sitting and and, you know not giving away the eye in the sky in the different ways you guys observe stuff but do you ever if a guy's betting big right you know relative to you know biggest guy of the weekend betting x amount per hand at blackjack do you ever go just sit and watch and sweat you know because obviously you've got the best of it but just as obviously he could get hot and win 200k do you sweat an individual game like that or individual table like that
1: no, I mean, you know, we we all spend our time we have to do a certain amount of time watching surveillance just to make sure make sure our eyes are right and make sure we're you know we're trained appropriately. But uh but I can tell you that that's not uh that's not something I'm I'm doing on a on a regular regular basis. We got good guys that are trained at doing it. I mean I will watch a game from time to time. Um I'll watch a game if I happen to be uh you know, uh, at one of my offices, like say, in Detroit or something like that, I'll watch a game every now and then. But uh, but uh,
0: no, that's not, that's not part of my daily routine. Now, speaking about feeling it, a million dollar ticket. And so you bet. And we do our Fox National show. And literally, I think it was a Friday or Saturday night. It was after Michigan got to the finals of the Big Ten. So it was the game. They had just won the semis. And there were still forty to ones out there. And we uh Steve Fezzik, very famous batter, and our college specialist Brad Power said, we're betting forty to one on Michigan. Your ticket, I think, was right around that time, right? Was it during the Big Ten tournament? It was exactly that time. Uh, it was it was after the uh semifinal. Okay. So you saw that
1: forty and said, Man, what I saw on that court and that forty, juicy. Right. It was it was just uh before. The final, which I believe was against Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, the semi was against Michigan State and was right, right at that point. Now, now for me, what I, what, I, um, what I had done is I'd been talking to Tony Miller over at the Golden Nugget, nugget and, and uh, you know, subsequently with Tilman Fertita, saying, "Hey, what
0: about so who who owns the nugget?" Right, right. And f- that he's brothers with the fatitas that own the stations. Uh, I think Cousins. Cousins, yeah. okay. And, wow, uh, they're pretty good at casino stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we had
1: been talking about, you know, I said, hey, what am I taking one bet and uh, one bet this year? And we kind of talked about a couple that I was taking a look at. And then, uh, and then yeah, Michigan got in that Big Ten run. And I uh, said, let's do it, let's do it. And they said, okay. So we ended up getting in, but it was right at that exact moment. And I think, you know, it was what? 24 hours later it was down to 20 and then kind of went went there. And I know they became a little bit of a darling and then they got lucky with their run to get to the championship game.
0: That's true. That's true. But, uh, you know, listen, you're going to win. You're going to, you know, as well as anyone, you're going to win some of those. You're going to lose some. So I think just take credit for it. Now, Fezzik had a ticket on Michigan for 16,000. So if you didn't bet your ticket, his would have been the biggest on the internet. So <laughs> a little bit different though. So As they kept winning, and obviously when they got to the final four, and you had the five days or whatever to talk about it, and you got a ton of, uh, I think, well deserved publicity off it, is, I mean, not to, I mean, let's just be candid. A million bucks, everyone's going to like a million bucks. Probably doesn't change your life, right?
1: Well, I mean, no matter what happened, we're going to get up and go to work. Exactly. So, how exciting was it? Oh no, it was I mean, this is unbelievably exciting. I mean, it was I I'll be honest, I I thought I was well uh prepared to handle it and I still went home on that Monday night a little bit frazzled. I mean, it was it was That was a pretty intense uh pretty intense week there and uh uh, but we had a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, our all, all the people at the D Las Vegas, we all kind of got into it. We had viewing parties, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. Brought a lot of people to our to the long bar, and uh, you know, it, it was great. And you know, also in retrospect, I I, uh, I I I thought about it in advance. Like I wanted to make sure a week after it's done, no matter what happened. I felt comfortable with the decision making, and I can tell you all the way through the process, I never, I never had a regret on the decision making. And what I mean by that is, we made the bet when to hedge it, not to hedge. I think we hedged, you know, a little bit on Loyola on that Saturday on the Saturday game. I was comfortable with that. I liked the hedge that we made on on Monday afternoon um, with uh, with William Hill. Um, it allowed us to to get out and 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 uh, and still cash a few bucks. So I felt I felt that that was always the appropriate decision making. And then had a whole lot of fun shooting the rest of it on trying trying to beat uh, beat beat one of the best college basketball teams I've ever seen in Villanova on Monday night.
0: No, we did an assessment since two thousand two. Our Vegas rankings have Villanova the third best team since two thousand two. So, like you said, one of the best of the last couple decades. Friday night, or, or I'm sorry, Saturday night. So that was a tight game, right? I mean, coming into the second half, even against Sister Jean, right? Uh, you didn't have much empathy for Sister Jean, though. Let's be honest.
1: Well, you know, I <laughs> it was mean, you or her. I loved, I loved the loyal, I loved the <laughs> Jesuits, but uh, but I think I think the, the run had to end there, and I needed to get to Monday. Uh, what was Saturday night? What did you do after the game? Well, honestly, what we did after the game. If uh, you recollect, the Michigan-Loyola game was the first of the two Final Four games. So what what happened was we started spending an awful lot of time getting prepared to start bet, to start betting on Villanova to hedge, and we because we thought Villanova would open well, up. Hold on a second. Five.
0: It's ten o'clock at night on Saturday. Second game's over Pacific time, and you're you're sitting with your spreadsheet thinking about hedging. No, not with our
1: spreadsheet, <laughs> but we had our, we had our whole team around, and because we had a we had a vested interest in Kansas beating Villanova. If Kansas would have beat uh, Villanova, it would have been easier to hedge Kansas off. and Michigan would have been closer to a pick. Yeah, yeah and then what yeah. happened was the worst scenario: is Villanova went out and just routed Kansas. I mean, early on, I mean, there was no way to make a play,
0: which made them expensive. Made which, Villanova expensive. Right, they open a
1: six and a half, quickly goes to a seven, and you know ends up at a seven and a half. And uh, you know the 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 Villanova versus just Kansas game. We had a vested interest in. So we were, we were watching that as intently as we were Michigan Loyola. A little
0: less, a little (laughs) less, but you know, you think about it, we all go through life and some people are, you know, more positive, some are more negative, but everyone yearns for those four or five moments. It might be a 60 second moment, you know, where it's like pure, you know, is it bliss? Is it like, like nothing else matters? You know, the, the triumph there had to be a moment on Saturday night and obviously, you were still one game away, where it just felt like, like, how does it get better than this? Yeah, I mean,
1: this was uh, this was pretty amazing. I mean, we made a run a few years ago, uh, you know, and hedged out on Michigan State versus Duke. But uh, yeah, to make it to the final game, that was uh, that was pretty
0: cool. Now, I can't lie; I gave you a little heat with a smile about the hedging because our rationale at pregame.com is you hedge two times, two scenarios. One is if it's life changing money. Because if I have a chance at a hundred fifty percent chance at a hundred million, right? The Theo is fifty. I'll take thirty, right? If that's the only way I can get my thirty, because that's life changing, right? Is and number two is if you like the second bet, meaning if you would make the hedging bet by itself, if you were naked, then you might as well hedge out and lower your your fluctuations. Again, borderline life changing, but you know, not quite. And would you have bet Villanova if? you were naked on the game. Did you like really like them in the game or was it the psychology that you couldn't come out a loser after getting so close? Well, first I'm going to agree with your, both of your points on when you
1: make a hedge. I I agree with both those issues completely, but you kind of hit the nail on the head with your last comment. And, and really what it is, you know, I, I'm I'm very open. I mean, I sit at seat one at Long Bar every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And I love people coming up and saying hello and things like this. So, so on on, on the psychology of letting it ride or looking like a gambler.
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- there's there's el- a branding
1: element too. Th- there's an element that you have to realize. I had to think through myself. Okay. I sit here for the next three years at seat one and I, in, I'm introduced to 20 people <laughs> a night and 14 of them tell me, Oh, what a, what a, what an idiot you are. How could you, not? everybody knew how to do that. You know, I did, I had to take into account I'm going to get ribbed a couple thousand times. And I really didn't want to spend you know the next three years of my life sitting here getting abused at long bar. That's so there's that, an element. That to is that-
0: awesome. You know, though, but but there's going to be that one out of a hundred like me that's getting on you about doing the the negative expectation play.
1: Oh, I can but I can handle that. I, we're we're in a beautiful studio here. We're all right. Believe me, people when they show up at Long Bar on Friday night about midnight, they're coming in hot
0: usually, <laughs> and that is something. And and we're going to get to downtown and what you're doing at the D and the future plans. But you know, you it really is noteworthy, and and I love. And this is just genuine, and anyone that listens to the show knows that I uh, I tell the truth, good or bad. Is um, I love your steakhouse. Uh, I mean, I was just down there. I was lucky enough to have dinner on Easter with uh, Mike Lombardi, the NFL uh, guy from The Ringer, and he was Bill Belichick's right hand man. And uh, he said, "Where do you want to eat?" I said, "Well, you got two choices." I said, "Il Molino, if you want. He's an Italian." I said, "Il Molino, I like on the Strip. If you want old school." He picked old school and it was probably the best ba- I've eaten there probably 15, 18 times. Got the double tomahawk family style with the wives. But honestly, I think one of the best steak, if not the best steakhouse in Vegas.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been ranked as the best steakhouse in Vegas for a long time. And uh, we're pretty proud of it. It's Caesar
0: a- table side. It's best Caesar I've ever had. Right on. Right on. <laughs> now, How often do you eat there? You know, I'm up there probably about once a
1: month or so. That's
0: I, it. I walk, I could I, not be that close and I, only go once a month. I, uh, I
1: walk through often, but I, I, I eat there once a month. I, I mean, I can't get a reservation most of the time.
0: <laughs> okay. You mentioned the sports book. So you have, and I'm not sure the exact lingo, but you've got a turnkey set up a la like CG Technology does this. William Hill does this where you say, hey, you get to run the book to the William Hill and there's some financial arrangement. What was your thought process? Cause you mentioned Tony Miller to me, Tony and what they do with the Gold nugget. I love it. I hate consolidation, right? I want more numbers. I'm a better, So I want more numbers to me, William Hill, when they bought up lucky's and they took, uh, you know, three numbers down to one. I thought that, you know, again, they got their business. I'm not blaming them, but I love that. Tony's got his own number. Have you considered did you consider the idea of doing something like that where you had a sports book that you guys ran that would have a personality all its own?
1: Well, I mean, between the Golden Gate which uses William Hill okay. through a kiosk and then uh, and then the sports book at the D, you know, I think William Hill's done a great job. I uh Oh, not questioning that at all. You know, and I think I think, you know, when you when you look at it um, I just don't think you know. You have to have enough volume. You have to have sample size, like you said. You, you can't really run a book without enough without without enough. There's going to be too handle. much
0: variance if you don't have a chance to even
1: yourself out. You're right. So so I I just think that uh, you know we don't have we don't have enough action at this point to be able to do something ourselves. But yeah, that's always been something that's intrigued me, and um, you know we'll see where it goes. I mean, William Hill's done a great job for us, and uh, I love I love the way they're doing. Uh, they're they are really really. Um, doing a great job with in-game wagering.
0: No, and I think in general, what we're going to see is the leagues and their participation. You know, all this integrity fee and all this is a bunch of, in my opinion, jibber-jabber. But ultimately, the networks, the leagues, and the bookmakers coming together for in-game on the smart TVs. In Europe, it's already the case Huge opportunities. You agree with that?
1: I totally agree. I mean, I think in-game wagering is uh, is something ready to explode. I mean, just just here recently. I mean, think about think about a sport that could have that that could, can have great great impact with in-game wagering, and it's something that really was never out there previously for this particular sport. But if you think about last Thursday through Sunday with the Masters. And you think about what in-game wagering would be. And you think, on, you know, now that you're posting a line after the third round, you know, Reed's plus 120. I think Rory was plus 180. And then, you know, you're, I think uh, Ricky Fowler was plus 700. Well, and then after that, then it's all long shots. Well, then all of a sudden on Sunday, things start moving. You know, Justin Speith just starts rocketing up that leaderboard. And all the way, uh, you know, getting up to, you know, only a two-to-one uh, a, a, a two to one payout. I I think the masters is such a great example of, of being in a sport that can be enhanced by in-game wagering.
0: No, I I agree. And and I think as the legacy and that's a a technical issue is how quickly can you bet, how quickly can you get the odds after the last play? How quickly can you bet before the event happens is as that gets quicker and quicker, you know, the idea of is, is a, LeBron going to make these two foul shots as as that happens, you know, and and uh, I think it gets bigger and bigger at that point. Just broadly, last question or two on sports betting. Not asking for anything; it's not public knowledge. Is when you have a turnkey like that, there's usually an element, and and I've done a lot over the years with Cancer slash CG and uh, Maddie Holter VP is on our podcast pretty much every week during football. And, you know, I've got some insight, but I think uh, this is public, is there was a kind of a minimum amount where you're guaranteed a certain amount. And then if the book does better, the, the, the casino gets a percentage of the win. Is that generally how it works?
1: Yeah, I think every deal is a little bit different. But I mean, yeah, from from a small place where you're just collecting, uh, just collecting rent to uh, to, um, you know, a blended a blended uh, uh, scenario would would that. They all fall within the realm of that.
0: So when you bet your, and you ended up hedging out on the last game, am I remember, was it 330 to win 100? Correct. Okay. And you did that at your property? No, I did it at, well, I did it at
1: William Hill, but I did it at the Four Queens.
0: Okay. Which isn't your property? Correct. Okay. Because I was thinking, and this was fascinating, you were actually able to, if you and again, we'll talk hypothetically, is, uh, if you had a percentage of your win, you were hedging on your hedge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You're thinking about it to the next level. Yeah. I wanted to keep the story pretty simple because, uh, you know, I got enough publicity. I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I, I I walked across the street and bet at my neighbor's joint and uh, we bet 330 to a hundred. And I
0: thought that was a, a better and cleaner way of doing it. Well, you had the. It was a great video. You had the, was it a big, I can't remember. Was it a big Brown box of money? If I remember, or did you have it in a duffel bag, but it was like yeah. a, it was a brick,
1: All right? Mike Palm, <laughs> our VP of operations, walked it over in a, in, in a big box.
0: <laughs> you know, there's a famous video of, um, stew pack, Betting, I think he bet 1 million, 1.1 million on the 49ers. You might vaguely remember that when they were huge favorites over the Chargers and uh, he, they actually just had like a, a, you know, just a box, a million bucks and why I think channel eight has the video online, but last sports betting question, there is a famous banker in Texas uh, named Andy Beal and what Andy Beal was a, you know, very, very wealthy and is a very wealthy, uh, in fact, right now they have his net worth on Wikipedia, $10 billion. So very wealthy banker. <coughs> About 10 years ago, he got interested in poker. Had never played poker. Showed up, walked in the poker room, and put his name on, you know, the big game list, right, with Doyle and those guys. Sat down, got a little interested, like, oh, can I use my uh, game theory on this, right? This guy's next level intellect ends up, and there's, uh, you know, this story's out on the web is ended up playing like many, many sessions with the best players in the world. They called him the corporation. So Doyle got Phil Ivey and those guys together. Are you familiar with this story at all? I, I know a little of it. Yeah. Please just, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, there's a, a book about it. That's uh, some variation of like the queen and the suicide king. It's a real long title, but I read a whole book about it. It was fascinating, but here was the core of it. Beale couldn't stand the idea that he'd lose, that he'd be negative EV. But he loved the idea of taking on the best in the world with just his raw intellect and his ability to come at it from a different angle. When you bet sports, obviously, you're an intelligent guy. Obviously, you're not going to be square, square. But I'm guessing if you're doing it in your spare time, it's hard to win long term. Do you feel any ambivalence about, you know, playing and, and, and losing let's say net net or do you feel like hey it's a recreational expense and i'm having fun with it because really some alpha people won't put themselves in any bad situation are you very comfortable just you know being a little recreational about it
1: i think you have to you have to look at definitions What what's a bad situation if i got if i got a you know 550 on uh on the late game on a Sunday afternoon, we've got a hundred people around us all cheering, and we're all part of the experience. Uh, the I ancillary benefit. I think. I think there's a lot of different ways to calculate EV. It's not just. It's just not numbers. I so, agree. So I think there's there's other elements to it. Yeah, I mean, what, what, does it does it get to a point where you? Uh, you don't have enough time to handicap, and and even if you did, I mean, we we all have different responsibilities in our in our day to day. But but if it can get me a little more charge, and I can get a better feel for you know what one guy's what one guy's laying on a money line versus another guy laying three and a hook versus another guy who was going to lay seven but then teased it down to one, and you know you got them all laddered up, and you kind of get to know what everybody's got going on. For me, that's that's awesome because it helps understand. You know, the experience it helps me um try to create better experiences going forward.
0: We're talking with Derek Stevens, I'm RJ Bell, The Vegas Truth. You I think do a very admirable job in your media appearances giving credit to the team. You know, you talk about team building and how no one person can do it. And you mentioned your brother, who has uh, is partners, I think it's fair to say. And it seems like you treat your team uh you empower them right a lot of times if you have an independent um you know visionary again they can you know steve jobs type he was usually very you know micro he micromanaged you don't seem to do that is what is it about your i mean was that an insight you got later in life or did, would you have understood at age 22 hey i'm going to bring the best people together and try to collaborate
1: well you know i i think uh I think, you know, on some items uh you, you you manage to a level where you wanna have significant impact on, on, on the way things uh are gonna develop. But at the same point, you you know, like right now as I'm sitting here in your studio, we got uh we've got fifty blackjack games with dice with, with cards flipping and we got dice rolling all over. You better make sure you got a pretty spend some time and make sure you develop a good team. So that that's what's really important to me is you know, I, I feel very comfortable. Um being on property, but but I'm also I'm also somebody that's not anxious when I'm off because because I know our guys are are, are watching what needs to be and I think we've got a pretty robust uh, robust crew that I I, I respect uh, no no and, and I respect I, you know I, the more time you spend with them the more the more you can respect uh,
0: your team I think your actions show that unequivocally in a, in a very as I said uh, admirable way. But was that instinctual to you? Like, as I've grown my business, it's something I had to learn, right? Is I was very, 10 years ago, I was very uncomfortable if something important was going on that I wasn't in control of. Did you learn it or was it instinctual?
1: Well, I would, I would say like, you know, coming from my background, I'm very focused on, on continuous improvement. I want to, uh, I want to make sure that every day, you know, whether you, you did something right or, or something didn't work out for you, um, you, you you take it and you learn from it and and you try to improve it one way or the other. And the, and you know, I would say the second thing that probably come to the table with uh and, and for me this is this is uh pretty binary. Uh I'm very focused on a relentless positive attitude and uh I need to have
0: positive guys around me. Uh where do you I'm think not, where do you think you got that from? The positive attitude.
1: Well, I, I I think in this day and age, it's uh, I I think you know you, you got you got to promote a little bit of your uh, of your own business and and you got to be positive because I I just don't think you know some of the management philosophies of the maybe the sixties seventies or eighties where where you browbeat people I don't necessarily know that that's the future future of uh of management um you know I I think uh, in in maybe you know, two three decades ago, you could get away with it, but in this day and age, uh, everybody's smarter. And and you know, if if you got a boss that's just just grinding you and riding you, you got a lot more options. I mean, I mean, look look at look at all the look at all the options out there. You know, for people for people to you know, to work. So for me, I, I like to be around our team, um, whether I'm working or not working, I like to be around our guys. And and a lot of it has to do with being like-minded, have, focus on continuous improvement, always trying to get better and always trying to figure out another way to increase revenue by a buck.
0: I think that it's very fair to say that humility is genuine with you. Again, w- listening to all your, or many of your media appearances, it comes through. You can tell when someone's being perfunctory with it and, and, or at least I think I can. And to me, you come off very genuine with it. Now that said, let's set it aside for a minute. Most people in the United States would trade places with you right now. What is it about you? That's got you here. I get, there's a lot of luck. Let's say that right away. There's a lot of luck. A lot of people helped you along the way, but what one or two skills would you say have been the biggest differentiators difference makers for you?
1: Well, it's one I tell a lot of my guys. I mean, number one is, yeah, you, you got to be lucky, but that's not it. The, the number one thing is just show up. So you grind, grind. Just show up. Show up. Be the first guy at work and be the last guy to leave. Eventually, the boss is going to have to get away one day, and they're going to have to rely <laughs> upon you to yeah, lock the true. door.
0: Wait for the opportunity.
1: Yeah, so you're going to have to lock the door. That's exactly what happened with me. Eventually, the boss got to go away, and they're going they're going to need somebody to lock the door. And the moment that they give you those keys to lock the door, that's a transfer of uh, responsibility, telling telling you that somebody trusts you. So you just show up. Enough the opportunities are going to happen. I mean, as long as you're there early, you're there the first guy in the office or first guy in the plant, um, and then stick around and be the last guy to leave. the The opportunity that happens with that, I think, is far greater than getting a you know getting a bachelor's or getting a master's degree
0: very honest answer thank you so much public private when it comes to you know many if not most of the big strip properties public companies you have a private company advantages disadvantages
1: well you know i, I mean i try to i try to play off on, on the advantages um of being private. I've wanted to stay private. And the reason is is uh you know, when it comes down to committees and that's something I'm not a big fan of. And uh, you know, I think as some of the people on our advertising, marketing team, our operations team know that uh you know we might be running uh we might be running one heck of a, a heck of an event a heck of a promotion on Friday night, and uh, we might only come up with the idea at two o'clock on friday afternoon so nimble agile quick yeah, absolutely you know get printers, get this get that we're gonna go talk to it let's try it and guess what if we screw up we're gonna show up tomorrow morning and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know try to come up with another idea
0: so lean iteration so silicon valley the 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 lean startup mentality is something in the last six or seven years that's gotten a lot of academia behind it. A lot of books about it. It feels like something you arrived at more through experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love trying, I love trying new things. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep pushing, you know, as much as we can as quickly as we can. And I mean, part of the process we come up with an idea. You want to see if it works. You don't want to wait around and ponder for too long. Let's try it and see if it works. And you have two, there's only two outcomes. Yes, it worked, and no, it didn't. <laughs> so, you know, if it did
0: it, then you move on. You don't to worry about it. So public companies, and then even with public companies, oftentimes they have heavy debt, especially if there was takeovers and such. You've talked about how that debt service can affect the cost structure of a casino in a way that they've got to be more expensive, if it's water or whatever. How have you been able, because if you don't take public money, right, and, and you weren't born with, uh, you know, uh, it, it, You've had to, let's say, earn your way here is how, how have you, I guess my question is, do you feel like your ability to finance your operation in an efficient way has been one of the things that's made a difference where you've had enough money to do what you wanted, but you haven't had owner's terms that's caused you to have to do some things you didn't want operationally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've always been very, very conservative with our balance sheet and, uh.
0: So less, know, less debt if you can avoid it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've been conservative that way. And, you know, the funny thing about it is whenever there's a recession or the economy slows down and you don't have a, a lot of debt, everybody says, boy, you're a genius. And then when you, when you, uh, when you, uh, don't have debt and the economy's booming, well, you know, you're the other side of the equation because you haven't, you haven't, uh, maximized potential. So I mean that you know, the amount of debt you have is uh is certainly relative to uh to uh to the economy. But in general, we've always been pretty darn conservative with what we want to do and we've always had a long play. I mean,
0: I'm not a deal flipper. I like growing businesses. There was a reality show uh in two thousand four called The Casino with the fellows that owned the gold nugget at the time. Now they ended up coming in, did some you know, I get, I'm not in a position to judge what they did, but it seemed like they were able then to sell the casino for more money fairly soon after. So to you, that's a, a real delineator. Is some people looking to get in, make it look better and sell where you're looking for, you're, you're trying to look ahead decades.
1: Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm definitely not, not in trying to, uh, trying to make a decision that's going to impact next quarter's earnings. I'm not, I'm not really Which is an, being
0: in. a private company. That, that it allows you that indulgence not to have to worry about that next quarter, right, where a public company has to.
1: Right. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing, you know, with our, with our team. We try to make sure that make sure you, every decision, if you're, if, you're, if you're contemplating something, make sure you think through, is this decision going to be looked upon as a good investment, a good decision five years from today? Use a long-term. I mean, I'm not sweating out next, like I said, next quarter, or, you know, two quarters down the road earnings. Uh, we were trying to
0: make uh, long-term calls you've been outspoken supporting buying american products obviously there's going to be a pr upside to that right is you're we're in america what be obviously there's more than that what beyond that resonates with you are you going to pay more for something american or is it going to be if it's a tie you're buying american how do you approach it
1: well you know uh maybe for a little background I'll, I'll let you know a, a little bit about you know when once i got out of college i went to work uh, you know in a lot of a lot of plants um you know, in the metropolitan Detroit area, when I started working, you know, if you drove a Ford, a Chrysler, a GM, you could park in the front parking lot. <laughs> and if you drove a Toyota, you know, a, a Honda, a Nissan, a Hyundai, you had to park in the back. And, and, and that was the case probably for the first 10, 12 years of my career. Um, and it was very, very distinct. I mean, they, they, you know, that's where the lots were. There was a, there's a, a certain amount of, um, I would say made in american patriotism that you see from Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Detroit and Indy and Milwaukee you know that 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 you know maybe some of that kind of resonated with me but I've always been I've always been a big supporter of uh of um you know buy locally you know even even in your you know local hometown USA when you have buy local on a saturday and stuff like that or you know uh um you know, for, for what we're doing by American. I, I just think that that's a, that's a good thing for us. And, you know, I mean, our customers are, are, you know, our customers are primarily from the Midwest and, and, uh, you know, I guess that's something that it, it, it maybe, uh, maybe makes me feel a little bit better that, yeah, all all the furniture at the D when we renovated, it was all, it was all manufactured in the U S and well, the, the even bigger bonus was we got fortunate that there was a company here that opened up, uh, just in Las Vegas and and uh, you know they brought the mills in and everything and they they manufactured everything uh, everything for our renovation so I thought that was great because it creates jobs and it creates you know it, it it creates uh creates work and and you know I've been around long enough to, to know what 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 a 24 hour work week is and how tough that is on people so if you could create uh, work uh, you know locally I think that's a that's a good thing for everybody.
0: I grew up, as I said, uh, an hour west of Pittsburgh in Ohio. But my dad was a coal miner, union coal miner for thirty-three years. He he was a you know is was a tough dude, but the one time you thought you might get hit if it was union talk, like we could debate you know politics or what. But if you got the union talk, I mean, for those guys, and obviously that's you know a, a, a prior generation, but for that generation and ones before, I think it was the most important thing you're you know buying american like if you don't support the unions you're not supporting the and not to get into a union talk but just that idea of it's more than just the bottom line sometimes
1: you know i think there's so many industries where 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 it's important to I me mean, so many great uh, industries uh, you know in, the, in in the united states and i think it's great to, great to support them.
0: now you talk about the long bar it's famous and you can let our listeners who don't know know a little bit about it, but what interests me the most is you are sitting, as you said, in seat one, a significant or a lot, many hours a week. Um, Obviously you want to be where the sausage is made. You want to feel what's happening, but part of it is you're an extrovert, right? Is you like this. If you didn't like it, you couldn't do it so often. How has your personality type Helped your career because oftentimes, uh, you know, look at a Zuckerberg type. We were talking about him earlier off air. He's a guy that's probably more comfortable with his headphones on, you know, doing computer code, right? So there's been very successful introverts, extroverts. How do you see that balance?
1: Well, you know, for me, I mean, long bar, I, I don't want to over, uh, I don't like to overcomplicate things. I mean, when we designed the world famous long bar, we designed it on a napkin and we kind of were, were lamenting one day like, man oh, man we got all these football games we're gonna bet on Sunday got to be able to watch them all so we got to make sure we built the bar long enough so we could get every NFL game on you know and then and then all of a sudden it gets to October we got to have every NFL game on you know the early games, but by then we got baseball playoffs so we got to have a couple extra TVs so that's kind of how it evolved you know we wanted to make sure we've got full full uh Full maximized content because, you know, there's always somebody that's got to bet on something. And we we were always wanting to keep up to date on what's going on. So it's nothing all that complicated. It's just something that we've turned into into our little thing. And we have a hell of a lot of fun with it. And you're right there, though. Absolutely. And you love it. Well, I mean, I don't have 12 TVs at home. And when I got 12 (laughs) bets, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, I designed it exactly the way I wanted to. (laughs) It's
0: like your living room. Yeah. (laughs) It's just other people are invited. That's pretty cool. Now... Well, you talked about data and analytics and all that as the years go by, just more and more important. I would say Vegas casinos in general, especially with the rewards programs, have been at the forefront of, of some of that customer profiling, what, what it's going to move a customer. Uh, would you say the D is at parity when it comes to that kind of stuff? Are you guys vanguards with it? Or do you do less of it? Where are you at on the spectrum? Uh, well, that's a tough question to answer
1: because I don't know where everyone else is necessarily, but I, but I. You're not, you're not
0: watching them closely, what they're doing?
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, I think when it comes down to everybody's use of data, I mean, I think that's rather, rel- relatively proprietary. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, with our, with our players club and, you know, we, we just recently went to uh, a single uh, single card players club for the golden gate, the D to prepare for the new property at 18 Fremont street. Um, we, we certainly use the data within, w- within our, our, our player database, but I'm also, I'm also of the position that, that I do, I do believe that, that great front desk clerks and great casino hosts and great, floor supervisors can have a have have a significant impact that no matter what happens um you know you hear that you know facebook has two billion users and and you know you can really communicate to a broad range of people on twitter at one point but at some point um there's still an element of of reaching out and seeing someone else face to face and giving a handshake And, you know, giving somebody a hug and and, and all that uh, or, or, you know, a a pat on the back, there's a lot of value in that. And I think that's actually, um, from a value perspective, becoming more and more important because there's less and less um, personal interaction these days. So it can be more differentiating. I,
0: I think so, yeah. Now, you have become the face of your company. And if you look around Vegas in April two thousand eighteen, and you know we mentioned the fatitas and stations. I can't. I don't think I know the first name. I, if you said it, I'll know. Right? Is and then other than that, I mean, is there even another casino where, you know, the the operator, the owner, however we want to describe it, is the the front facing brand? Was that a conscious choice? What's the pros? What's the cons? How did we get here?
1: Well, I mean, conscious choice. I mean, yeah, the conscious choice is that we didn't have enough money to pay for <laughs> advertising or PR. So, so it was you easier to, to come out and do it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, it's, it's something that's evolved for me. I mean, I've never been really an advertising or, or, or PR kind of guy, uh, until coming to Vegas. And, uh, no, I, I don't mind doing interviews. I don't mind, I don't mind talking to everybody. And, uh, uh, you know, I I get a kick out of it. You know, we we're always smiling, we're always laughing, and uh, I'm always learning from from everybody we're talking to. So it's it's been a, it's been a good evolution for me.
0: But if you could snap your fingers and it have no negative business consequence if you totally stopped being the face and receded to the back office, it doesn't seem like you'd like that.
1: i uh, you know, I mean, I, I I love being in the back office, but you know, if I'm back there forty
0: fifty hours a week. Uh, I got to get to the front, too, because
1: <laughs> I, I want to be able watch you games with
0: all my guys. <laughs> all right. So you mentioned your your expansion. Now, every interview, if people trying to get you to give info that you don't want to get, I, I don't care about any of that. What I want to know is broadly at the end, what's the vision? Like, like if, if this turns out the way Derek Stevens wants it to what it when I, you know, I don't know if it's three years, four years, five years, let's just say five to keep it conserved. Five years from now, I go engage with your properties. What are you trying to accomplish for my experience?
1: Well, I think, I think the one thing we're going to do is we're going to continue to focus on customer experience. We're going to focus in on differentiation. And, uh,
0: and what's the differentiation? That's what I'm not going to tell you. Uh,
1: that's the part that. So,
0: so, do you have it clear in your mind now?
1: Yeah, we're we're uh, we're at the point where I can say we're uh, we're basically fully designed out. I feel real, real good about where where we're at. I mean, technology continues to change and evolve. I think customer. Um, How'd you bait
0: ex- me into asking a question you could say no to? I was going <laughs> to avoid that. <laughs> the uh, the
1: element of uh, of the design I feel I feel is uh, designed for both today's customers, but really more for tomorrow and um you know there haven't been a lot of a lot of new casino designs and that's the great thing about las vegas i mean it always continues to evolve and 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 in in vegas as a whole always gives people more reasons to get here i mean for me what an exciting time we're we're going into the playoffs with the our, our expansion vegas golden knights a few years down the road the nfl's coming to town you've got a brand new convention center being built that at the uh, at the Las Vegas Convention Center, you've got all this new investment happening here. I mean, this is this is really an amazing amazing era in the history of Las Vegas, and uh, and well, I'm
0: excited to be be a part of it. We're in our last ten minutes with Derek Stevens. Got some good ending questions here. Now, you're on record as saying that downtown complements the strip. There's no competition, so we got all that part. What's the difference, though? From a customer the, the, the again obviously when you profile customers it 's going to be a stereotypical exercise right it 's not any individual what 's the difference from a typical d customer and let 's say a customer on the strip
1: well i i don't know that i don 't know that you can do that i mean i mean I mean downtown had over twenty million visitors last year. Um, that's a pretty good chunk of everybody that comes to Vegas and, 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 you know, we're, we're bringing customers in that are going to hockey games. So, you know, I, I think, I think that, uh, that us bringing customers in or people coming in to see Fremont street, but then they go participate, in in you know events at T Mobile or hockey games at T Mobile or going to see something over at over at the Axis Theater. I mean I think I think that's great. And in the same respect the 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 big thing the strip has strip has a lot of hotel rooms so I think I think downtown and Fremont Street we're complimentary because it's another event, another place for people to go. It's a des-
0: destination.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean that's why like I think I think what Topgolf is, you know, it doesn't have any hotel rooms, but I think Topgolf is great for Las Vegas, you know. We use Topgolf a lot. Obviously it's connected with MGM, but we use Topgolf a lot cuz it brings people in, so I I'm a big fan. When when I see, you know, the different elements of how things evolve with these day club pools. I mean, I think that's great. That brings in another element of a crowd. And I think with what we're doing on Fremont Street with free entertainment uh 7 nights a week, that gives a lot of people that are in Las Vegas the ability to come out and hang out and have a good time and and uh and and I like you said I've I've always said that downtown and the strip are very complementary both ways. And I think we're both better but we're we're both better if you look at this as as a whole. I think the strips better because of downtown and downtown certainly better because of the strip.
0: How payout sensitive do you think gamblers are in general? Because in my universe, it's like, "Oh, so and so has got a -105" and it's like Santa Claus came early, right? And we were talking about the dime line versus a 20 cent straddle and all that. And when it comes to casino play, hey, there's a certain way blackjack's handled, there's a certain way Uh, What does this pay on the poker machines in general? I think the cliche is, Oh, the downtown gamblers are are a little more value oriented. Do you think that's true? I would say, I would say, um, how about
1: we say it this way? I would say video poker players, are a little more focused on pay tables than maybe maybe the individual is playing Mega Bucks or or Wheel of Fortune, um, and I think we've got a lot of video poker downtown. So so I guess you know if you could say well you know it's not quite apples to apples. It's just it's just that people that play video poker are far more interested in making sure they get the, the the right pay table, and you know at the same point it doesn't mean that's necessarily the right answer because when you have somebody that's coming in from out of town and you know. Um, you know, they collected five bucks from 19 friends and they're putting their five bucks in and they're all going to pull it to try to win mega bucks. I think that's a great thing too. I mean, I mean, it, it, it addresses a, a, a different need. So, so, you know, I just, I don't think you could you could generalize and say, Oh, strip customer downtown customer. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, there's a little more video poker downtown and video poker customers are, are, are more of one's one way than maybe a, a, a real customer.
0: Evolution in Vegas, the slot
1: real customer. I'm sorry. No, yes, yes. explain that.
0: <laughs> Evolution in Vegas from gambling being a a jumbo percentage of the revenue, and now food shows is 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 one of your goals is to diversify away from the gambling revenue to have because not only it would seem is revenue generated from a show or a great restaurant. But it's also an attraction. Is that something you're prioritizing?
1: Well, I think I mean th- this goes to show how great Las Vegas is, and and really the LV has been with with their allowing Las Vegas to evolve. And what I mean by that is, I, when I start thinking about flying back into Vegas and we all pulled our money to go make 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 some wagers on you know on a game or whatnot, thirty years ago, well, it's 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 a little bit different now because now the majority of the U.S. population lives within a short drive of a casino. Um, you know, back way back when, I mean, it was only Vegas and Atlantic City. So you you had a lot more pent-up gambling dollars that were coming to Vegas a long time ago. Now, now the the gambling element, it's 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 not as if, "Oh, I I'm coming to Vegas here this weekend and I'm not coming back till September." Odds are most people are going to hit a local a local or a regional casino. So the so so the pent-up gambling demand is it it never gets the level it was 30 years ago but there's so many more reasons to want to come to Las Vegas and that, and that that's why i think it's great to see this evolution of 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 what Vegas has become from the best in business best with conventions best with nightclubs best with day clubs best with culinary best with shopping best with sunshine those that that it That's great to see how Vegas has continued to evolve, so for us yeah we're gonna we're gonna continue to uh you know address some of what I think some of the future needs are, and you know I love gambling, so we're gonna focus <laughs> on that as well, but, but we're gonna uh we're, we're we're definitely focusing on a few other uh few other areas of revenue
0: now, what you said was sort of a revelation to me because I've always been asked on my media appearances, and I mean this is a very common question is oh if sports betting becomes legal, is it gonna hurt Vegas? And what I used was an analogy often that, Hey, when the river boats opened up in the Indian casinos and the alternatives outside of Atlantic city in Vegas, it acted as a feeder system. It got people a taste of it. And maybe the wife gets into video poker. So she's more inclined to come out to Vegas, but you make a good point. Yeah, that's happened. But once they get out to Vegas, they probably gambled the weekend before at their local place. So you called it the pent-up demand isn't there, but the demand to come to Vegas is. So you better monetize them a different way.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, um, I, I would say early on when regional casinos came out, um, you, you could say yeah it was a feeder market. But now, now, now casinos are so prolific throughout the United States. It's 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 different than than maybe twenty years ago when it was still kind of evolving. I think sports is far different. And the reason I say sports is far different is because unlike brick and mortar casinos, sports gambling is happening around the country and every street corner around the country back for a hundred, a hundred years. So, I mean, every bar owner, every, you know, I mean, you know, how many, how many, how many bookies do you think there are in Youngstown, Ohio versus in Las Vegas? There's more in Youngstown, (laughs) Ohio. I mean, that's just the reality. They got more gambling. I know that much. There's just, there's. There's, that's just the reality of, of, of what it's like, that, that I think that there's an awful lot of people betting sports today. And and it's just simply a, a very small percentage bet within um, legal and regulated markets.
0: I agree with that. I mean, I think in the NFL, it's probably still less than 1% worldwide is happening in Nevada. Last thing about the Strip, one of my pet peeves, I used to love the free parking. <laughs> now, hard to find you know, no parking downtown was always more of a challenge. Uh, you're, you know, your valet is great. I, I, another reason I like to eat down there. And when I go downtown is El Cortez, a little hint for insiders. If you get your card at the El Cortez, they let you park in there. So park for free is to you. Does it, did you think it was a mistake? Uh, and again, not that you're, let's just talk theoretical, not judging any individual property, Do you see the point of, hey, there's obviously money falling to the bottom line, but with locals, I think there's great consternation about the the parking on the strip. What's your general takeaway on that?
1: Well, you know, I think, I mean, I think, I think your question is exceptionally tough. And the reason I say it is because, I mean, I know the parking thing is something that everybody talks about, but it's, it's. And, it, and it's something that you can you can make a comment on, particularly online or something. But until you know all the details of each particular property, you really you really you really don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like watching a watching a basketball game or foot. You know, what, why are they substituting this? Why did they run this play? Well, it doesn't stop
0: people from critique, critiquing. It doesn't <laughs> stop
1: people from critiquing. But but you don't but you don't know all the details. You True. know, what I mean, um, I, I'm I, I'm someone that would make an assumption that that based upon what's happened on on uh parking on the strip there there was an awful lot of awful lot of thought process that went into you know wh- what um how their assets were being utilized and, and and obviously if they had to put a parking fee on um you know they felt that that they would be better with uh with, with you know, basically, basically some of the people that are doing the most complaining, not being around. I mean, I just think that they must've, they must've figured out that, you know, there's, there's a better end all, um, by, by, by making that decision.
0: Oh, that's interesting. You're saying, even if it is keeping people away, maybe those are people they don't mind being kept away.
1: Well, I mean, like, like say, for example, take the last, the last, um, big one, the fall that I, that read about was, was cosmopolitan. And again, I, I don't like to to say too much about individual property, yeah. but I think, but I think there was a comment made by Bill Macbeth that I thought was so straight on the money and 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 so accurate was I don't and he said I don't have a choice I have to charge for parking because if I don't every single parking spot is going to be taken up by everyone else's employees. He had to charge because he was
0: he was surrounded Once the other properties. Okay. He was
1: surrounded and and all of a sudden. He had no parking left for any customers, so it it became very very clear that he had to make a move so I'm assuming that there's a there's an awful lot of reasons why they wanted to do it um obviously it's a hot topic uh but uh yeah, I don't really have much much comment after that two
0: two last questions online casino gambling right so there's the eight 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 dog con- obviously it's a big business and you know gray area I guess legally in some places others whatever but in Nevada you know your license you understand gambling do you see a time where uh you know a local is sitting here and they can be on their iPad playing on your app where do you see that going
1: yeah you know i think that that that
0: something that's going to be interesting um
1: if it's going to be something local you know similar to the way the uh sports betting apps
0: work in Nevada um Where if you're, if you're outside of the state, you can't bet, you can get the information of most of them, but you can't bet. Right. So I, I would say that's something that I think would,
1: would, uh, going to be a lot of, a lot of the, the devil's going to be in the details. I mean, I think it's a little early to say, do I think that that is, is like offhand? Do I think that is a huge market? Um, offhand, I would say no, um, actually, um, Thinking about if it's going to be something along the lines of people flying to Las Vegas and putting money on their account and betting on their app, ah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I my, my gut doesn't say doesn't say that that's a that's a whopper. I think I think the free gaming where you can get credits and things like that, like so, like the, social gaming, social gaming. Now, social gaming, I think, has a huge upside, but but actually, people funding their accounts and playing slots on their on their uh, on their own phone um, i i think we're we're still a little early
0: do you see any synergy from a brick and mortar real gambling property like yours and a potential social gambling like if is it branding is it lead generation do you see any way that there'd be synergy with your company and a social gaming company
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I think you see that with a with a lot of the with a lot of these a uh, lot of the games that are out there out there right now i think uh I think yeah it it uh it helps create brand awareness it helps drive
0: physical trips and things like that so yeah i I think that's certainly the case last question, and you know one of my goals with the Vegas truth one, it's for me, it's an indulgence. I bring in people I respect that I want to learn from. And I pretty much say, Hey, if I had a couple hours with this guy, what am I going to ask him? That's what I try to do. And luckily the listeners have responded to that. And thank you for that. I want to understand what drives you. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, and, and I'll let you deny it if it's, if you can, but I won't make you say yes, you could retire today. I'm guessing. And, and probably be fine. Right. Not worried about the rent. Is is it fair to say that this new development, are you risking everything? If it goes, and obviously you're super, and again, obviously you're thinking it through, got a great team, so I'm super optimistic. But obviously the chance is greater than zero that it doesn't go well. Are you risking everything? I'm certainly risking more than anything we've ever done in the past. Is that invigorating? Is that scary? Is that? I mean, how how do you deal with that level of risk?
1: You know, it's it's interesting. You're you're getting to the root of something that that's that's interesting. It's how do you evaluate risk? I mean, if I was on if I was on a motorcycle and I was sitting number two, I'd feel a little more a uh, little more concerned than if I was driving the driving the boat or driving the driving the bike myself. Oh well, it's a little bit of the same thing here. You know, uh, when uh, when you get to be involved if I was a passive investor, I would feel, I would feel much more risk. Therefore I'd be willing to risk less. Um, when you get to be part of the operations team the management team, and you get to be part of the design and all that, you, uh, you've kind of worked things through that, that, you 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 have a better assessment on what you think would work and, and you know and you evaluate what's risky but i think uh I think from our position um our evaluation of risk is maybe a little bit different than a passive investor, true,
0: but also true that even when you have total control there's variables you can't control absolutely right? and to me it's a it's a hell of a statement to the positive, and I admire the idea that someone who the utility of your life, if this thing goes as well as it could, the utility of your life doesn't change that much. You're still driving the same type of car, still eating wherever you want to eat. So you're risking so much with the upside, at least day to day, being small. But the upside is you're creating something. The upside is you're accomplished. So the driver here, a lot of people think about, oh, I'd work really hard to be successful. You're successful and you're working just as hard and risking as much as anyone for that next level, even though there's really not a ton of utility to it. As in, if you've got X million in the bank or five X million in the bank, it doesn't change your life that much. Well, I
1: think you know when you have opportunities to do do certain things that that uh, you feel pretty convicted about, and you feel comfortable with how great of a team uh, you know you put together. Um, you know, it, it, if you don't do something that 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 decision in and of itself may uh may not be the most
0: satisfying to end twenty years from today if everything goes the way twenty now not five twenty and you're about be about seventy right at that point is where are you? Are you at the end of the bar? What are you doing oh i don't I don't want to overthink this <laughs> We're gonna... you're just doing five years, uh, but do you feel like you're life or meaning could you envision? Grinding it because a lot of the casino operators they keep going and going. Do 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 you think that's a a viable possibility? If uh, if I had an option,
1: if I had an option to get up and determine if I was going to play golf or go to the beach or do something else, I would tell you that 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 um, period of my career would last less than twenty four (laughs) hours.
0: There's no Not way. Not even a week. Not even a week. <laughs> no way. No way. Well, listen, guys, is obviously, if you've listened to this, you see we've got a unique perspective, a unique man, Derek Stevens. Now, your Twitter, and, and again, I would say this, people throw out Twitter handles, you know, people usually don't listen, really. If you want, kind of, most of our listeners are outside of Vegas. This is a great follow to get a feel of what's happening on the ground. It is. Your Twitter uh, at Derek J. Stevens, Derek J. Stevens, anywhere, uh, the D.com or anywhere else, if people want to take a look at the long bar, let's say online, or what would you recommend?
1: Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, at the D Las Vegas at Golden Gate Vegas, uh, you'll always stay up to date on, uh, on,
0: on, on what we got, uh, what we got cooking. Thank you, Derek Stevens. I'm RJ Bell. Talk to you next time on the Vegas truth.